go. Keep y'all woke this morning. Hey, I'm excited. Today's Commitment Sunday. Uh, many of you know about this. If you're a guest, um, no, no pressure on what I'm, I'm about to talk about. Uh, but we pitched a campaign, uh, an expansion campaign, a couple of weeks ago. We've kind of coined it for the story, um, really for the story of uh, what God's going to do in, in so many lives in, in the coming days, months, and uh, in years here at Fathom Church. And we just feel like this is the next phase for us and a really big vision that God has given us. Uh, more vision than what we can handle right now. And so we feel like this is just faithfully stewarding, stewarding the things that God's placed in my heart before we ever moved to the city. Um, and, and in God's time, and we feel like this is God's time and to really begin to expand our, our borders a little bit. And so uh, just so you know what, what, what is going on, if you've missed the announcement or haven't seen that or first time here and just kind of hearing what's going on, uh, this is kind of what we're planning to do. One, on the back side of the property here on this back uh, deck, we've already got a pad poured and we're going to expand. We're going to put a big building back there. I say big building, it's only about 1,500 square feet, but it's really going to serve as multi-purpose space. It's going to serve a huge, great purpose. We'll, we'll talk to you more about that here in just a second. And so that's half of really the, the project. The other half of the project is going to take place on really everything in this building that's not this room. So we'll be doing a few minor things within this room, um, but in the whole area where you kind of know is coffee bar, bathrooms, little kitchen, and office, all that's going to be reformatted. So this is kind of what it looks like right now, and that's our existing floor plan, very congested. And so you see we're going to wide open, like everything that's on your, when you come into your left, everything's going to be wide open and really just an opportunity, a much better opportunity for us as a church to meet what we feel like are our three responsibilities. One, it's to reach new people. Um, Secondly, to care for our current people, care for you. And uh, also to, to develop our current people, to disciple and grow the people that God has entrusted us with into our care. We feel like those are our three responsibilities. And we really feel this project is going to help us uh, do all of that better. Obviously, it's tripling our restroom capacity, tripling our lobby space, which means you're going to, on a rainy day, have a place to connect and not feel like you've got to rush right out into the rain, but a real opportunity and not in a crowded hallway. So it's going to really change the way it feels around here. So we're really excited about that portion of this project because you're going to feel that every single week you come in. It's just going to be a much more comfortable environment and uh, really allow us to serve uh, you and guests um, uh, at a much better uh, level. And then uh, the other side of this is back here, kind of, like I said, mostly that space is going to be used for multi-purpose space. And so uh, it's going to be kind of an open, uh, multi-purpose space. This is where we'll have uh, Fathom students. We'll, we'll kind of uh, migrate back there until they outgrow that and come back in here. Uh, so it's going to be space for them. Our DNA sessions, m- many of you have been to our DNA sessions that happen right after service. They'll be hosted in there from uh, now on. Uh, some of you have rented or wanted to rent uh, space or block off space for a, a baby shower or a wedding shower or something like that. It's perfect space. Uh, for that, our mid-sized anchor groups, things like we're doing this summer with financial peace, mid-sized groups in which we all gather together, but there's not so many of us in this room, that'll be hosted in there. So there's going to be a studio, an AV studio and all kinds of fun stuff in there, as well as uh, re-portioning uh, where our, we're taking out offices, we're going to be adding some back in there, So and some storage space that we have none of on this property, so I'm excited about that, and uh, just excited about the impact that this project's going to have on so many lives, and it is, it, we, we, we're definitely coining this for the story on the impact it's going to have on uh, the young person's life who's going to get connected and students in this new environment, um, on the people that are going to be reached through the audio and visu- visual studio and what's happening there through this, uh, a- as well as just what God's going to do in our church in the coming months, and all those stories that are going to follow your faithfulness and our faithfulness as a church to follow God in this 
a vision. So we're really excited about that. I'm going to be talking to you a little more about what today is as Commitment Sunday as we go on. You see this board over here. Our band's already got it started. So we'll be giving you instructions kind of at the end of the sermon here in a few minutes. But I'm excited to dive into the Word uh, with you this morning. I really felt compelled on this day to, to really speak to our hearts regarding our, our city, our hurting city. I, I mentioned this when we started this series that uh, as a believer and as a church, we tend to migrate very slowly but surely towards our own comfort. And, and, and maybe early on, we were very outward focused in a hurting city. Over time, we get very drawn in to just focus on our needs, get very focused on our comfort and, and what, how we think things should be or what, whatever. We get, we get drawn in over time to just be self-focused, and that's not the gospel. The gospel compels us to share the good news of God. And so I want to talk through a story and really tell you the story of Jonah. And so I'll be navigating all through the book of Jonah this morning. Some of you, you're probably familiar a little bit, right? You know about the swallowing of the fish thing that you got. But I bet there's a lot of things about this story that, that you haven't quite grabbed a hold of because they're just subtle. It's only four chapters. It's the oldest literary portion. It's not the oldest um, story we have in the, in the scriptures, but it's the actual oldest text that we have. Jonah was a guy who actually grew up really close to where Jesus grew up, close to Nazareth. Uh, Jesus was from um, you know, just a, a small town, as you guys remember, and, and, and Jonah was from a small town, a little hilltop town, uh, just out like in the area of Galilee. And he was a Hebrew prophet. Um, he wasn't just a guy who got swallowed by a fish. He was, he was a prophet of God. He had a relationship uh, with the Lord. And God called him to do something really hard. Um, called him to, to, to go to a place called Nineveh. I'm like, all right, what's, what's up with Nineveh? Well, Nineveh was the capital of the Assyrian Empire. And if you know anything about the Assyrians, their name was synonymous with being ruthless and a wicked people. Like, like vicious. They would rip out people's tongues and gouge their eyes out. There's stories of them skinning people alive. Like some of the stories are just even too grotesque for me to share. Uh, what they would do is, is they would capture all these people, they would cut their heads off, and they'd stack those up in a city to incite fear and terror because they were really the dominant empire between the 9th and 7th century. And this story really happens around 760. BC is where we find this. The Assyri- not only was this difficult just because of who the Assyrians were and what, you know, what that brought to his mind of where God was calling him to, to the capital of this wicked people, but it was difficult because the Assyrians are responsible for the capture and the destruction of the northern kingdom of Israel, of which Jonah is a part of. So they've captured and destroyed his people, and those are the ten lost tribes of Israel that have never been recovered. They've never, they just dispersed, and he's one of these people. And God calls him to go and preach to the city that they might be spared of destruction. And that's really the beginning part of chapter one is, is Jonah hearing this call, this very difficult call to go to the city and him really not wanting to go. Like, um, in fact, what he does, he, his hometown is a place called Gath, and Nineveh is about 500 miles away from his hometown. So that was, that's a decent uh, drive for us today. It was a long way for him. 
And so instead of going there to this wicked metropolis of Nineveh, this wicked capital of the Assyrian army, he says, no, 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 I'm going to actually go 2,500 miles the other direction. Like 2,500 miles west of where he lived and where he grew up, he actually wanted to go opposite. And come on, somebody, is this anybody's story here this morning in which when God was calling you to do something hard, you actually turned the other direction and was running as hard as you could the other way? Has anybody like ever lived that? Like you felt God calling, you felt his love, but instead of going the hard thing that you felt, he turned his back and he began to run from this call that, that is on his life to do something hard. And he thinks that this path is going to be easier, right? He, he thinks that the wicked city will be the difficult choice to, to obey. And he thinks that he picks a, a more comfortable path. He actually goes to, uh, he, he wants to go to Tarshish. I think it's fun when you say Tarshish like a pirate. Tarshish. Like, go ahead, try it with me. Tarshish. Don't leave me hanging. Come on. Tarshish. See, it's fun. It's fun to do it like a pirate, a little pirate talk. Is today like pirate talk day? No. Um, and so he turns 2,500. Somebody said it's in October. Like that person knows their pirate culture. Um, he turns 2,500 and he wants to go to Tarshish and, and juxtapose Nineveh, this wicked, ruthless city with skulls stacked up and the people that are responsible for the capture and destruction of his people. And he wants to go to Tarshish, this little coastal town in Spain, off the coast of Spain, little fishing town, little import-export city. And he, he thinks this is going to be a way more comfortable thing. Like, sounds better to me. Like, obviously, God couldn't call me there. He's calling me there. And he, he jumps on this boat with these very skilled, but they're, they're pagan dudes, and they're very skilled sailors. And so he's expecting just a smooth, like, instead of doing the hard thing that God's asked him, he's like, I'm going to go on vacation, actually. <laughs> I'm going to run pretty hard from that to the land of, of comfort. But that's not what happens. He thinks that his disobedient path, the, the path that God's not called him to, will be easier smooth sailing to this nice little coastal town in Spain, but it's anything but that. As they're traveling, they hit, they, a storm comes up out of nowhere, and these sailors start, these very experienced sailors who had seen it all and done it all, they start losing their mind in fear, thinking that they're going to die. I don't know if you've ever been out in the water when a storm's hit. Anybody? Anybody? I remember this one time, we, we went deep sea fishing, and it, was, it ended up being amazing, but it was kind of scary. We were in the boat, and the storms came in, and there was actually like a storm here and a storm there. And, and we were like getting really nervous because it was a pretty solid torrential rain. And like rain is rain, but a storm is really, you know, scary. And, and um, so anyway, our, our uh, captain of our boat, he ends up like splitting the storms, and we're driving through the storm uh, and it's on both sides of us, and we're going through it. It's pretty incredible. But if you've ever been out there, you know, like, it's, it can be scary. Like, waters come up out of nowhere. And so these guys are pagan guys, and so which means they just, they worshiped, like, the god of the rocks and the god of the stars. And, like, the, there's all these different little g, lowercase g, gods. And they're like, somebody has offended the gods. And, and they're going around, and they remember that Jonah had told them that he's running from his God, and they're like, well, then you got, you got to go over. He's like, I guess, I guess I do. And so they throw him over, and he gets swallowed up by this enormous fish. And, 
And uh, some marine biologists believe that this enormous fish was a shark of some sort because the sharks, the decomposition in their stomach could, you know, is kind of a much longer process. Some marine biologists think that it was actually a large whale because of the way the lungs and the stomach are connected and that the air can get into the stomach of a whale. And obviously the size there is, is much larger. Regardless of what it is, this is what happens. He thinks that the way of comfort will be easier and it turned out to be much harder, much harder uh, as you begin to see the story play out. And how many times have we done this? Like we think our disobedience will actually be more comfortable and we find ourselves in the belly of the beast before long. And our dis- that's where our disobedience led us. And so there's tons of lessons for us to learn, but it's really about faithful obedience and the consequences of our disobedience. Even when we think we're running from this hard thing that God's asked us to do, what he's called us to do, we're actually leading ourselves towards more destruction when we turn away from what he asks us to do. We'll flip the page and we find chapter two and we begin to hear Jonah's prayer. Jonah cries out to the Lord, right? Because when you're in the belly of a fish, like you're now like my prayer life is woke, you know, like all of a sudden, like if it wasn't woke before, it's woke now. And he begins to cry out. And you can see as you read through his prayer in chapter two that he has a genuine relationship in God with God and with a genuine faith, believing that God will rescue him from this. Read this with me. The engulfing waters threatened me. The deep surrounded me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. To the roots of the mountains I sank down. The earth beneath barred me in forever. But you, Lord my God, you brought my life up from the pit. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple, we see a confidence in his prayer life. Let me just ask you this, is there confidence in your prayer life? Like when you find yourself in whatever wall or mountain that you're up against, when you pray, do you pray with confidence? Because the confidence we pray with has to do with our faith in God's command over everything. If you begin to look through the gospel accounts, you'll see in which, uh, which Jesus, and God, God had control over uh, the immune system, that he could heal bodies, that he, he had control over life and death, and there was nothing uh, in which he did not have control over. And our prayer life reveals the confidence we have in God. Great is your faithfulness. This is my confidence, right? It, it's our confidence in his faithfulness, and he finds him in this place, and we get to verse 8 and 9, and we see something that's really heavy and really important for us today. Those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. Those who cling, let me ask you a question. Who is Jonah talking about right here? He's in the middle of a prayer, in the middle of a fish in their stomach. Those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. I mean, he might have been talking about these pagan sailors and like they're worthless idols and those jerks threw me off the boat. Like he might be talking about these guys and they're worthless idols. He may be talking about the Assyrians, right? They're worthless idols there of death and uh, ruthlessness. I think he's talking about himself. He's the one that's turned his back literally and physically away from God's love for him. And he's running as far as he can from the hard thing that God's asked him to do. 
this whole thing, it's, it's not about comfort, but what he's called us to do. And, and sometimes we think that we're running away from our problem, but God's not our problem. He's our solution. We, we think that we're going to choose an easier route, and we end up finding ourselves in the, the pit. Because consequences for our disobedience are, are far worse than what the hard thing, that whatever things that we have to go through, whatever our obedience would cost us, it's far worse, our disobedience. And he, he goes on to, to say this, but I, with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you. He, he's in the middle of a, stomach, a fish's stomach, and he's saying, God, I'm going to come to you and I'm going to bring sacrifices to you and I'm going to do it with shouts of grateful praise. All of you know today, like we're, we're doing this commitment Sunday thing, a financial sacrifice, if you will. And how many times with sacrifice do we kind of complain or, or, or do it begrudgingly? You know, so, so we, somebody actually got into it in our uh, worship huddle this morning, started stealing my sermon because sacrifice isn't isn't when it's comfortable, it's when it costs us something, right? It's, it's not free, it's not a sacrifice if it doesn't cost us anything. And, and God's called us into this place with this vision to, to sacrifice, but how are we going to sacrifice into it? Begrudgingly or with shouts of joyful praise, no matter where we're at, no matter what situation we find ourselves in, shouts, and I will, I, what I have vowed, I will make good. Listen to that. Like just for the season that we're stepping into, commitments over the next five months on what God's going to do in sacrificial financial offerings, what I vowed, I'll make good. What I said I'm going to do, I'm going to do. Right? There's going to be times in somebody's life today who God tells you to do something, you feel compelled to sow into this project, but there's going to be a, a, a month in which the numbers don't add up, and you're going to have to figure it out right? You're going to be working it and you're just going to have to trust God through it. And what I vowed, I'll make good. And so be faithful to what God puts on your heart because he's going to show up. He's going to show up and we can't afford to quit in it. And he says this very faithfully, I will say, not they will say, I will say salvation comes from the Lord. Like I know all across this room, we've got different scenarios in our life in, in which we need God to show up. Maybe it is a financial area. Maybe it's in your marriage. Maybe it's in your relationship with your parents. Maybe it's in your relationship with your children. Maybe a work situation. I, I don't know. But I know that you can with confidence approach God and say salvation comes from the Lord. Like God can do it and he will do it. But we've got to have faith that he's, he's going to do it. And he's going to deliver. He's going to show up. And that's where Jonah finds himself when he declares this. And God commands the fish to throw him up, to vomit him up onto dry land. And that's the end of chapter 2. And we flip over to chapter 3. And he's nasty on the shores and covered in whatever is inside of whatever fish that he was. And just stank. I imagine he went and tried to wash off the goobers, the fish goobers off his body and took him a nice bath in the ocean there in, in that sea. And then we see here in chapter three in which he's kind of, his spirits kind of woke up and God has delivered him externally. But what we're going to begin to see as we get into chapter four is that there's internal work still to do. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time, God of the second chance. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I 
give you. In fact, the one that I've already gave you. I noticed something strange about this, that God calls Nineveh a great city. Not a large city. You'll actually go on to tell us and use a different word to talk about the, the size of the city because it was a large capital city. Um, but he calls it a great city. People would call Nineveh a lot of things. They would call it a large city. They'd call it a ruthless city. They'd call it a wicked city. They would not call it a great city. <laughs> That's part of the, the complex situation going on in Jonah where he is running from this very wicked place. They wouldn't call it a great city, but, but hear what God says to him. God, God doesn't call it as it is. He calls it as it will be. And just know this in your life. He's, he, he's not calling you what everybody else on the outside calls you. He calls you as you will be. He's not drawing you in. He, he's not boxed into how people view you. He is bringing you into the redeemed version of yourself in which he is destined from the foundations of the world. Which he knows you. And, and, and he doesn't look on you just as you are. He is drawing you into who you're destined and called to be. And he is speaking this over this wicked city. And he is speaking it into to Jonah's heart that he is called to go in there and proclaim this message. And it was a, not only was he going to a hard city, he had to say a hard thing. Hey, if you don't turn your lives around, God, like you're, your city is going to have destruction in 40 days. That's what's said here. Jonah obeys the word of the Lord, and he went to Nineveh. Like external, he's doing the right things, right? After you've been in that place, we get on a path in which we're doing the right things. city was a large city. It took about three days to go through it. Jonah began by going a day's journey into the city, proclaiming 40 more days. 40 more days, and then God's going to overthrow it. There's, he's going to destroy it. If you look throughout the Old Testament and New Testament, there's a motif with this number 40. And anytime it's used, it's, there's a layer in which it's pointing to this motif of testing. A season of testing, a season of preparation. We can, we can look right here, we can look to... Uh, Jesus, before he began his ministry, he fasted 40 days and 40 nights and he was tempted there's a 40-day testing before his ministry could begin. And I just want you to connect kind of chapter 2 that God had to do something in Jonah's life before he could do something through his life. God's got to accomplish something in us before he can accomplish something through us. And I know in this room today, like God's placed things in your heart. He's placed dreams in your heart. He's placed callings on your life that are not going away because of a season of disobedience. He, but he is drawing you into, not as everybody looks on or even how you look at yourself, but as he has called you and what he is doing in your life and how the finished product he sees you as. And we as a church are stepping into tomorrow, like we're giving out these 40-day prayer devotionals for every person that commits to give to this project. We're giving these out and we're going through it for 40 days. They're simple. They're like a page and a half, two pages at the most. And look how small the book is. So it's and we're going to go through this journey together. And I just believe right now, before God can do something through us as a church and as individuals, he, he wants to do something in us. He wants to accomplish something in us. Because as we're, we're going to see here, Jonah begins to go preaching all over, sharing this message. What's amazing is everybody, from the greatest to the king all the way down to the least, repented and turned from their wicked ways. 
like, do, do what? Like, talk about not meeting his expectations. He thought, like, everybody was going to kill him, and he was going to be one of the heads thrown on the pile because of who he is, and the hard word he's preaching did not meet his expectations. It completely reversed anything he thought was possible. 120,000 plus people turn from the wickedness and ruthlessness that was so deeply woven, but they responded to the word of God and turned from their ways. It's incredible. Like 120,000 like people with this culture of violence and ruthlessness to respond to not a pagan God, but the one true living God and respond and, and, and put, you know, uh, there's a proclamation throughout the city that this is, we need to do this or, or else we're going to be in trouble. And verse 10 tells us that God saw. God saw what was taking place. He saw what they did. And of course God saw. God sees everything, right? But how many times do we live like God sees everything? We treat God like a human, like we're hiding something from him. Like when we're running, like he doesn't know where we're at, (laughs) you know? Like when we got this little secret sin that nobody knows about, like God don't know about it. Like who matters more, the opinion of other people or God? And he knows. We act like we're hiding and when we constantly acting like God's our problem and he's not, he's our solution, We're acting like our pain is coming from him, but it's not. It's our purpose that's found in him. And through obedience to to walk with wherever he takes us to. Talk about like, you know, you you ever have that? Like you kind of play it out in your mind and we always do the worst case scenario. It's just like, like I couldn't even, if I was saying, hey, if I was just counseling Jonah, hey man, so uh, I think the worst that could happen is obviously you die and your head's decapitated in the middle of the city. Um, the, the best that could happen is, hey, what if some people, like, hear it, respond, and then you die, you know? Like, what's the, what's the best case? All of them turn, and God sees that, and just know that God sees. He, he sees what's going on in your life, and he sees your heart. He's not impressed with just the outward, as this next few verses is going to show us. God's not impressed with the outward because God has delivered him externally and now Jonah has gone through the motions of preaching and doing what God's asked him to do but his heart is still undelivered his heart's still a mess look at chapter four and we begin to see I mean what would you expect the preacher who saw people 120,000 plus begin to repent like what would you expect to like he'd be like sweet like God did it you know and like going through and just excited about what God's doing but that's not what Jonah does He's actually mad about the change of plans. He's angry at God, and he's complaining to God. Like, things didn't go the way I wanted to. The worthless idol for Jonah was his comfort, was his control, was his complacency spiritually. That was his worthless idol, was trying to take control. And, th- and there's, this, there's this thing that God's trying to do in his heart and, and hammer home. Like, what kind of preacher is mad about 120,000 plus repenting and turning from their wicked ways. Jonah is. That's the kind. (laughs) He went through the motions. Like God delivering him externally got him to go through the motions of what he's supposed to be doing. But the manner in which he was doing it did not please God. So he gets to this place and he's complaining. He became angry. And and there's something here at the end of of this, this slide right here. But the Lord replied to him. Is it right for you to be angry? 
It's okay to be angry, but just because you're angry doesn't mean it's always justified. And God will call that into correction. Something that's upsetting you, something that's angering you, is it, is it actually justified? And this is just baffling for me. Like, why the preacher 120,000? Well, there's a lot of things. There's a lot of things going on here. And he says it. He says, I knew your character, God. I knew that you were merciful. I knew that you were graceful. I knew that if I went to the city, I knew that would happen because I know your character. He knew God's character. That's how he could say salvation comes from the Lord in the midst of uh, the fish. That's how he could proclaim that because he knew God and he knew his character. But that doesn't mean we always do the right thing. That doesn't mean our heart's always in the right place and God's calling that into correction. Well, Jonah goes outside the city and he finds him a place to sit down, a little shade tree. God had prepared this plant and Jonah just props up and he sits back, angry, complaining to God. And he's got this little shade plant that's kind of growing up over him. And he's just looking at the city. And the, the man that was called to bring salvation, like, phys, like the one that was playing it out to preach the message of salvation to Nineveh, and, and who his voice was responsible, his preaching was responsible for the repentance of 120,000 plus, complains about it and finds himself up underneath a plant. And he's moved from being a participator to a spectator. And he's moved from being a, a person that's in the thick of it to a person that's just hoping for the worst. And I, I know across this room, we want to walk in God's calling for our life. We, we want to figure what that, that is, and we want to be faithful in it. But here's the thing. You'll never walk in the call of God if you don't care about people. And at the core of it, he didn't love these people. He hated them. He wanted the worst for them. He, he, he didn't want good in their life. He didn't want resurrection. He didn't want salvation for them. He wanted destruction for them. And if, if, if I even look to Israel right now, what's going on? The, the U.S. Embassy has moved from, Jerusalem, or from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem, and there's just brutal fighting going on on a daily basis, and many lives have, have been lost already in this conflict. I mean, let's not even look at history. Let's just look right now between Jews and Palestinians. And there are some Christians, maybe in this room, maybe throughout our nation, actually I know throughout our nation, which are wishing destruction for the other side. And we just need to read this, church. We need, we need to read Genesis, or excuse me, Jonah chapter four, that God is getting into his heart. And we begin, continue reading. God created this plant, and, and he, as he's sitting there, Jonah's sitting up onto the plant, God actually created a worm that, that would climb out, and he would chew this plant down, and what was providing shade from the hot Middle Eastern sun God took it down. God will take down some shade in order to get you out of your complacency and being a spectator. And for some of you, this commitment thing that we're doing, it's, it's tearing down some shade of comfort in your life. It's stretching you beyond what you're comfortable in order to get some things right here. Because it, it wasn't enough just to be externally delivered. God wanted to do something internally. He was, he's not okay with just going through the motions while thinking we can come into his presence and leave it. God, he wants all of us, all of our heart. 
he goes through and he's just waiting to see what's going to happen to the city. And the sun begins to beat down. And, and really the word for the, the heat, it was really associated as it is now. If somebody's hot-headed, like, right? So he's hot and it's, the physical is hitting his emotional. And he's just like, just kill me. Just kill me. Like, I, am not, I don't want to do this. And we get to the end of the text and God's like, he gets into his heart and he's like, man, you don't care about these people. You haven't done anything to care for this plant. You haven't, you haven't watered this plant. Why are you mad that it comes down? And I know in the life of a church, like some of us will look on and when things aren't going right in a certain area or something, we'll be like, when we sow in, we're invested and we want it to grow. It's going to change our prayer life and how we change, how we pray for our church because we are sowing in and we've watered and watching it grow. God says, now should I have concern for the great city of Nineveh in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left? These people are lost. These people are lost. As a people, I don't know where you're at in your heart and your mind of how you care about people. I've spoken many times that I've had to have a lot of honest conversations with myself when I looked myself in the mirror and said, in fact, actually, I remember sitting in a pastoral ministry class in which I'm studying to do what I'm doing now. And it just hit me. I'm like, I don't even care about people. Like, I just don't. Like, I, I don't care about someone's salvation. And that's kind of a problem for everybody, but let alone the guy who's going to get up and preach the gospel and make disciples. I had to be real with myself. And I began to pray, God, Help me to love people like you love people. And God just began to resurrect my life in which I had such a deep compassion. And there's so much that God's done in my life since that time. But maybe you just need to get real today and say, God, I, I want to care about these people as you do. I want to I not just care about their physical needs, but care about their spiritual needs. Because they have their right hand from their left when it comes to hope in Jesus Christ hard thing for me when we look at this story of Jonah is that's where it ends. What happens to Jonah? Like God spoke it into his heart. Like whatever happened to old Jonah? Did he get up and be like, yeah, God, you're right. And he repents. Did he go back into the city of Nineveh and begin to, you know, make disciples, if you will, and pour into people and just encourage the people? Just sit there. This is, all we, this is all we ever hear about Jonah. The verdict's still out. Uh, one of the most compelling things, I think I've mentioned this recently, after Pastor uh, Billy Graham passed away, um, some pastors spent some time with him, and, and anytime you talk to him, this man's lived his life with such integrity and in preaching the gospel all around the world. But he always had this posture of humility that the verdict is still out. Even just days and months before his passing, the verdict's still out on whether he'll be faithful to the end. Um, like, I'm just like, wow, what humility. And, uh, and here, here's the truth. Uh, the verdict's still out on you and me. It, it's out on how we're going to respond to the hard things that God calls us to do. Is, are we just going to go through the motions? Are we going to run actually thinking it's going to be easier than find ourselves 
in the pit and realized it's a lot harder to disobey than it is to obey. <laughs> Things didn't even blew his, I mean, could have blown his mind. What a ministry legacy. We don't, we don't know how the story ends there, and I, and I don't know how it ends in my life. I don't know how it ends in your life, but I know what we can do today is we can bring our whole heart to the Lord and saying, God, I just don't want to receive this external deliverance in which you've given me from addiction or from my financial situation or from fill in the blank. What external he's given you, I, I, I want you to do the work deep in my heart. There's a season of testing that's going on. A season in which God's going to prepare us for the work he wants to do through us.